take your seat. That's just for you, Chuck. Well, good morning, church family. How's everyone doing? Oh, so good to be with you and worshiping on this Father's Day weekend. Happy Father's Day to you and yours. Woohoo. Yep, let's give them a hand. This is the one day that we get to choose the restaurant, and so let's choose wisely. All right, guys? You know, I, I really do hope that you feel celebrated today because uh, being a dad can be both tremendously rewarding, but it's, it's also really challenging. And if we're honest, pretty humbling as well. You know, just a story from my own life. My, I got three kids and my middle boy, Justice, eight years old. Him and I were kind of playing in the morning this week, and he had this uh, toy airplane, and he was kind of zooming it around, and he was sitting close to me, and, and he would say, all right, everyone, coming in for landing. Everyone, watch out, coming in for landing. And then he would proceed to land the plane right on the top of my head and then say, we landed safely on the top of Mount Baldy. <laughs> and, and then if I would try to get that plane off, he'd say, watch out, guys, earthquake on the top of Mount Baldy. <laughs> so my kid's recognizing <laughs> that I'm going through some changes as an adult, and little does he know it's actually because of him that I'm losing that hair. <laughs> but, you know, the really sobering truth is that I'm beginning, day in and day out, to look more like Todd. <laughs> it's not fun realization. But, you know, while we're on this topic of our bodies changing... This is actually the sermon topic that we're going into during the summer. You see how I did that? Is it time for the church, the body of Christ, to change, right? But this is what we're bringing up, and we are conversing as a church family over the summer because the reality is if we are to assess the culture around us, it's changing pretty rapidly. And in many ways, it seems that it's becoming increasingly uh, disinterested with the things of the church, or even uh, heightened a little bit antagonistic towards uh, what Christianity uh, believes. And so uh, what we're doing is trying to shed light on the realities of our culture. And then we're asking the question, well, how should we as believers, as, as those who are redeemed by Jesus and, and, and called to be a salt and light, in culture, how should we respond? And the scriptural underpinning for this series has been uh, in the book of Colossians. And it comes from chapter 4, and it's verses 4 through 5. It says this, it says, walk in wisdom. Boy, do we need some wisdom in our cultural guys? We certainly do. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Those are those outside the church. Making the best use of time. Why? Because the days are short. The days are also evil, the Bible tells us. So we've got to make the best use of the limited opportunities that we have in this world. And then it says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We want to be fully equipped as a church family to address the cultural issues that are prevalent in our culture these days. 
And so we're tackling head on a lot of the topics that in some senses are taboo in the church. Uh, But we want to meet them head on because the Bible has a lot to say about them. And we want to be fully equipped. And if there's one thing that we need, it is more gracious and preserving and beneficial speech in our culture. You know, you just scroll through your Facebook feed or you look online, you, you, you watch the news and you see the vitriol, the, the fighting, the combating. Where is the grace? Where's the seasoned with saltness of the conversation in our culture? We want to be different. We want to learn from the culture, but also lovingly stand to speak the truth as well. And so that's what we're div- digging into. Last week, we were talking about politics. And this week, we're talking about money. So we're talking about stuff people love to talk about in the church, right? Politics and money. Specific, what, what we're going to be talking about today is the wealth gap. Is our stuff a blessing or a curse? You know, I, I want to clarify right from the start that uh, two things. And the first is that I am no uh, political or sociological genius. And so I'm not going to come in here and tell us the silver bullet solution that's going to uh, kind of uh, completely overwhelm our society in that somehow I know, because the truth is I don't. It's a very complicated issue and it's above my pay grade. But what I want to do today is bring some awareness to the state of our society and this issue of wealth distribution and the inequality of it. And then I want to encourage us to be more grateful for what we've received from God, then also to be more generous with what we already have. And so real simple, that's my goal today. And the second thing is uh, I know that I'm speaking to a variety of people here today and watching online There are here, no doubt, in a room this size and with this many folks, uh, there are those who come in here and maybe in one sense, uh, you come in with a lot, a lot of possessions, a lot of things. Maybe others of you just starting out in your journey or for one reason or another, you don't have as much. There are also those here who maybe don't have a whole lot and yet feel like they have way more than they need, and so they are radically generous. And then there's others who really do have quite a lot, and yet feel in their heart that they don't quite ever have enough, enough to share with others or enough for themselves. So each of us is coming at this from a different vantage point. But I do want to dive in and talk a little bit about the state of the affairs in the United States as it concerns this wealth gap. See, everyone doesn't see eye to eye on all the issues that are surrounding the inequality of the distribution of wealth in America. You know, but the viewpoints are made up through a series of questions and how people answer those questions really in large part shapes their worldview on this issue. And so some of those questions are these. How much is the individual or the government responsible for? How much is it dependent on the individual to earn and work hard and make uh, ends meet? 
Or how much is it uh, incumbent on the government to help out and provide the opportunities, incentivize appropriately, and all the rest? And then another question we have to answer is who should help the poor? And then when does actually helping hurt? You know, there's a great book put out by a Christian author with that title, When Helping Hurts. And it's helping us to distinguish uh, the idea from what's the difference between a handout and a hand up? What's the difference between true empowerment and long-term benefit for that individual versus a one-time drive-by act of generosity? Also, who should help the poor? Is it the government? Is it individuals? Is it the family unit? Who is it? And then lastly, another question folks will debate, is equality even the best goal? Is this what we are after? And is it even realistic to think that everyone can actually have an exactly equal playing field? Doesn't seem likely in our culture, and especially when we read scripture and we see things like the parable of the talents where God gives some five, some two, and some one, that seems a little bit unequal. And so these are great questions to wrestle with. And I'm not going to advocate one specific viewpoint. But one area of agreement is that most agree greed and generosity are part of the problem and solution. That somehow both individually and as a society collectively, greed kind of undergirds part of it where there's this insatiable appetite for more and more stuff. And we can recognize that in our own heart, if we're being honest. Each of us struggle with that in some way, shape, or form. Of not quite feeling that we have enough. And yet when we realize there's limited resources worldwide, we know that the more we have, that means the less others have. And so generosity, the ability to share, can help stem that inequality. I want to go through just from my research, which no doubt is limited, and don't take it uh, as an absolute expert on this topic, yet I did uh, do my best to research these numbers. Pew Center from uh, our, the uh, Global uh, Rich List Dot com, as well as a variety of other sources to come up with some of these numbers. I just want you to know they were researched. And the first is that the top 10% wealthiest people own 70% of all wealth in the United States. Now, what that means is that 90% of people live and have 30% of the resource. 90% have 30%. So we can kind of see an inequality there, right? Secondly, there is a widening gap between the rich and the poor, especially accelerated over these last 10 years. And what it's doing is it is actually shrinking the middle class. And so there's a wider gulf in between those who have and those who don't have. Making sense? All right. But I don't want you to miss this fact. It's that the reality is that most Americans 
are extremely rich. Now you might say, Jordan, rich is relative. What do you mean? Well, rich is relative. And what I mean is that relative to the rest of the world, we are extremely rich. We'll just take a look at that. Some sobering stats, staggering, really, about how wealthy we as Americans truly are. First one is 41% of the world's millionaires are American. The next closest is with China. They got nearly 1.2 billion people. Only 8% of them are millionaires, of the total population of millionaires. With only 4% of the world's population, Americans own 30%. We only got 4%, but we own 30 Now, that kind of might seem out there somewhere. I want to bring it kind of closer home to, to us. All right, so as Americans, the median annual household income is 63500 This was last year's stats. And what that does is it places an average American family into the top 1% of income earners around the world. All right, so we're going to do just a little bit of experiment to kind of sense this out. If you can, can I have everyone stand up? Just stand up right where you're at. Just to get a sense of what, what this is saying. You know, we, we may have around 200 folks uh, joining us here today. So here's what I want you to do. I want everyone to sit down. And then I'm going to have you two stand up. Those two are Americans. And all of us are not. Does that make sense? These two are the top 1% of the rest of the world in terms of income earners. All right, you may sit down. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Gets a little more clearer. OC residents, Orange County residents, on average, make about $30,000 more annually than other American households. So if Americans are typically the 1%, you want to talk about the one percenters? <laughs> That's right here, guys. That's us. And we swim in it. We, we don't even recognize it sometimes. It's just the water that we swim in. And so we are the rich of the rich. I want to just kind of show the other side of the equation. The median worldwide annual household income is less than $2,000 a year. That means... Orange County residents, on average, typically make 50 times the amount of what the average individual in the world makes. Two billion people worldwide risk drinking contaminated water each day. 
And I know that sounds like just a stat, but, you know, six years ago, I had the opportunity to go with Living Water International on a mission trip to El Salvador. And I got to, with this team, drill a clean drinking water well. And, you know, you would think El Salvador is on the coast that it just gets tons of water. And so what do you need the clean drinking water uh, for? Well, the reality is you can't catch and filter all that water, right? So you need to go down, down into the ground to, to get water that's been filtered. And uh, a lot of folks over the hundreds of years that people have been living there, they've dug a well. And that well will service 300, 400, 500 villagers, right? But a single well. And so the village that we went to, and we were sharing both the gospel as well as a practical demonstration of that by drilling this water well. And the reality is this whole village is drinking out of this one water well of 500 people. And when you look at it, it's covered with a piece of plywood, okay, that's all moldy. It's wet. And then when you lift that up, you see the string that holds the bucket down about 100 feet down there, and it's covered in spiders. And then inside there is a damp, dark, wet place. And so you know what lives there? Creepy, collie things and bats. Do you know what bats do? Guano. And just falling into the water that they are drinking. Right? Two billion people in the world risk drinking contaminated water every day. Most of us will never know the worry of not having enough clothes to wear or food to eat. And yet, that is commonplace in the world around us. There's a gap between the rich and the poor. And yet, don't want you to miss, lose sight of this, 13% of Orange County residents live below or at the poverty level. So even right around our neighbors, there's those in need. If we have the eyes to see in the heart, to respond. And so I don't know where this hits you today. But a lot of us in our culture, day in and day out, we don't even think about it. What we are thinking about is getting ahead. How do I make more to provide a better living for my family so I can leave more so that they have a leg up better than what I did? And we're not even thinking about whether or not that's actually makes us happier. Is that better? Interestingly, Princeton University in Purdue recently did studies on that, about whether or not more makes us happier. And what they have found is that life satisfaction and emotional well-being peak when your income is around the median level. And it kind of makes sense, right, guys? When, when we kind of compare to others, hey, that person has more, that one has less. If we feel like we are way, way, way down here, 
There, there, there's kind of a, a lack that we feel in our hearts. But if we're way, way, way up here, we, we kind of realize, oh man, you know, not sure what I should do with all this stuff. And uh, it can add a level of anxiety and stress. And uh, I think we get this. So here's the takeaway for that. Having more doesn't necessarily make you happier. And yet, so many in our culture just spend their whole life accumulating stuff more and more. Like that's the goal. It's not. Doesn't make us happier. It's not for our best interest. It should come as no surprise to us that relational connectedness and engaging in worthwhile church charity work and health are way more important than material possessions for our ultimate and long-lasting happiness, our emotional well-being. And so today, I don't want you to miss this. The big idea is that our material possessions can be a blessing or a curse depending on how we view and use them. Make no mistake, be a big blessing. They can also be a curse, and it depends how we view and use them. You know, as I was thinking about that this week, uh, the Lord just gave me this image, and I, and I hope it works, but it is uh, the image of a pillow. And I was thinking about, you know, kind of the way that we view and use our stuff is a lot like kind of how we view and use a pillow, right? It's just a tool. It's just a thing. But uh, oftentimes, we have some good feelings surrounded uh, uh, with this pillow. You know, it, it's, it, it provides a level of comfort, uh, a level of safety, uh, and we like it. It's kind of cozy, uh, you know, to, to have around. And so we'll use it uh, to sit on, right? Something that's hard, we can kind of use it to, to sit on, and, and it's a little more comfy. We can also use it to lay on at night, and it helps us get a good night's sleep. Uh, we could also give it to someone else so that they can have a place to lay their head in a comfy night's sleep. But I also think we can use a pillow to start a fight. Anyone ever heard of pillow fights? <laughs> right? Ever, ever heard of money fights? <laughs> nope. You know, we, we can actually use pillows as a barricade. You know, my kids love to make pillow forts. And you can kind of just pile them up, stack them up around you, insulate yourself from the surrounding outside. You can also use a pillow to stack one on top of the other. And then you can kind of sit on it. And look out from your perch. And you can say, I'm pretty high up here. Because I have a lot of pillows, I must be worth a lot. You can kind of think, man, I'm something. And so kind of how we view and use our stuff is a lot like how we view and use our pillows. I want you to take that into your week and just consider that. Assess. How do you view and use your stuff? Well, to help us today, 
I, I want to engage in an ancient prayer that was written in the book of Proverbs. And it was written by a man named Agar. And likely scholars uh, debate this, but it's likely that Agar was in King Solomon's court. And so this dude had money, right? King Solomon, richest man who ever lived in his court, likely had some, some dough. And yet he's going to give us this amazing prayer that if we're honest, some of us might really struggle to pray. And yet it's the only prayer in Proverbs. So it's got some wisdom for us. So I'm going to read it. It says this, Proverbs 37 through 9. Two things I ask of you, speaking to God, O Lord, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. That's the first thing. Number two, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me only with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. We're going to dig into this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the wisdom of your word. Would you open our eyes today? Would you open our ears to hear what you want to say to us? And God, most importantly, may you open our heart so that we can receive what it is you're trying to do in and through us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Agar, he's going to tell us that there are some blessings to having stuff. Make no mistake. And he's also going to allude to us that there is some potential curses. And so let's walk through this. First, there's blessings to having stuff. It helps us see and experience God's goodness. And that's the intent. Everything comes from God. God is the giver. And he wants us to recognize that, that he is the source of our satisfaction. Anything that we're looking for in life can find its fulfillment in him. And so it helps us just as a, an expression of God's heart to us. So our heavenly father is a giver. And he absolutely loves giving to us. He's a good, good father. We sung that. And every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the heavenly father. And I want you to think about this. Even the very breath that you're breathing right now is borrowed. God's going to take it back at one time. Everything in our life is temporary. And yet God delights to breathe in new life to us and give us of his abundance. How generous is our God. Everything that we have is from him. You know, Agar is alluding to this when he, he's praying, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food. He, he's calling out to God and saying, Lord, I have nothing to offer you. With open hands, I'm asking you. You. Provide for me. I trust you. And here's the reality. Our needs and our greeds are different. They're just different. 
Now, our needs, God absolutely has designed and desired us. He's designed us deficient by design, and we are designed to be daily dependent on him. And so uh, he wants to meet our needs, every single needs. And the Bible tells us, you know, uh, God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, a lot of other places. But our greeds are different. He has not promised to meet your greeds. And the reality is our greeds are different for different people, too. And so some of us, you know, we got a big family. You need a pretty big house, right? You need a bigger car. You need, you need a lot with bigger families. Some of us buy those same exact things for a different purpose. And the purpose might be entertainment, which is amazing. And it might be hosting and generosity, which is awesome. But it also might be status symbol. And it might also be to show that I've arrived. And that's different. That's different. Now, what Agar tells us to do, to ask God to feed us with the food that is needful for us. He wants us to be daily dependent on God. Anything that gets in the way of that is in the way of that. So we are intended to enjoy all of our stuff. Make no mistake. We're just not supposed to trust it. We're not supposed to trust in it, but we are intended to enjoy it. And I, I got to be honest, guys. The uh, co common uh, um, comforts that we experience here in 21st century America is absolutely awesome. I wish every culture had the comforts that we have. There's this thing called drive-through food that you can get, right? You don't got to go out in a spit and kill an animal and roast it, right? It just comes right to you. Heck, you got DoorDash now. They'll just ring the doorbell and, and come right in. And then one of my favorites is you have, have these mugs, right? Nice, beautiful, rich, rich field CC uh, mugs. They keep cold stuff cold and hot stuff hot. I can't believe it. It is amazing. There's still ice in there. You can hear that. And speaking of ice, uh, if you travel at all, you go to Europe or other countries, ice is a luxury. It seems that you got to know somebody in high places to even have some ice in your drink. And yet we take it so for granted here, but it is awesome. I am so thankful for what God has given us. And God intended us to enjoy it. And I hope some of you Maybe you're a little hard on yourself and not quite sure why God has blessed you with so much. I hope you hear me saying, I want you to enjoy your stuff. You know, the Apostle Paul was writing to um, his protege, Timothy. And Timothy was a young pastor, so he, he, he had a lot to learn, no doubt. And uh, he was in this city, a big city, Ephesus. And this city had a lot of rich people in it. And so Paul writes to Timothy and encouraging him how to speak to the rich people or what to teach them about. And so he writes this in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. And he says, for as the rich in this present age. Now, guys, don't just breeze through that. The rich. Who is that? That's us. So we're level set. That's us. He's talking to us. Charge them not to be haughty. Haughty means prideful, thinking you're above because you uh, have a lot of stuff that you're worth a lot. Right? That's what haughty is. 
nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. If COVID has taught us anything, it is that there's uncertainty abound in our land, right? And you can't set your hope on riches. It's not a solid foundation. But put it on God who richly provides everything for us to enjoy. Love that. Praise God for that. So wherever you find yourself today, be grateful for what God has given you. Pray for contentment in that situation and peace and joy because that's what he wants. Now, he also knows that we enjoy our stuff the most by partaking a portion and then giving a bunch of it away. God wants our enjoyment in the stuff. And he knows absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt that we enjoy it the most when we partake a portion and then give a bunch of it away. And we're going to talk a little bit uh, about that. But Paul says this. He says, the rich, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And they're storing for themselves treasures for a good foundation for the future, to take hold of that life, which is truly life. So I love what John Piper says about this. He says, there are three levels of how to live with things. The first is you can steal to get, or you can work to get, which is a little better. But the third is you can work to get in order to give. And so too many professing Christians live on level two. But the Bible pushes us to that level three. Enough for us and abundance for others to use on good works that alleviate the spiritual and physical misery around us. You know, when I was 11 years old, I had the opportunity with my family to go on a mission trip to uh, Juarez, Mexico. And if you know Juarez, that is a dangerous hotspot for... uh, you know, drug trafficking and all kinds of human rights violations. And uh, it's also a really, really poor area. And it just changed my perspective as a young person, seeing poverty up close. And, I, and they're living in cardboard houses and not running water and very few have homes. And so we're there preaching the gospel and, and sharing what we can with them materially. And it just woke me up to the reality of the spiritual and physical misery of others in our world. And I've never gone back. Never gone back. That's always in my mind. I cannot live blind to the needs around me. My parents gave me a gift by teaching me that, allowing me to see that. And so there are future rewards for how we presently live says, storing up for yourself treasures. Now, this is an amazing thought. Uh, God self-identifies with the poor. I'm going to let that sink in. You may may even want to write that down. Because God self-identifies with the poor. And so Proverbs chapter 19, 17 says, whoever is generous with the poor lends to God, and he will repay them for what they have done. And in Matthew 25, Jesus says, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to who? You did to him. 
God self-identifies with the poor. So how we treat them, how we view them is actually how we're treating and viewing God. So the blessing of having stuff is that we can help others see and experience that same goodness that we ourselves have experienced from him. And you know, with more is more potential impact for Christ. It does take funds to send missionaries around the world. And it does take funds to plant new churches. And it does take funds to hire staff and provide for their families. It does take funds for everything that we have here today. And so with more is potential for more spreading the gospel. And that's an amazing thing. And you know, God has given us more primarily for raising our standard of giving and not raising our standard of living. I love what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. And this is in the context of being a cheerful giver, not manipulative, not shamed into giving, but because we get to. It's actually more blessed to give than receive. And so he writes this, the same one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and will even multiply your seed. He's talking about the seed that we have, the, the resources that we have to go and spread the gospel. And he said, we'll increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And so being generous is doubly blessed. We get the experience of helping someone else and they get the experience of praising God for that provision. And ultimately, being generous flows from and models what Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus, most generous man who ever lived. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake and mine, he became poor. He emptied himself of his rights, his prerogatives, his righteousness on the cross. And he sacrificed it all so that we by his poverty, might become rich. Guys, we're rich. We are filthy, stinking rich, which is an amazing thing. God has given us way more than we need. He's answered every need that we have. And now we're free, free to model what Jesus has done for us. Not out of obligation, but out of overflow. And so, Agar did not want us to be blind to the curse of having stuff as well. With more comes more temptation to think that we're self-sufficient and don't need God. Kind of, we can provide for our own needs. Thank you very much, God. I got this from uh, this way forward. Appreciate everything you've done, but uh, that's all. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? There's more responsibility and more potential problems with those who have more. And if you have more, you, maybe you've experienced this. More people come to you wanting things. You're responsible for providing for a bigger household oftentimes. More people at your work, are, 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 you're responsible to provide for them and shepherd them. And then there's also more opportunity for excessive indulgences. But this is Orange County. I don't need to talk about that, right? You guys never, we don't ever in, <laughs> excessively indulge. Well, here's the, the heart of the matter. 
The potential curse is that we can actually feel less freedom to live simply and radically sacrificial when we have more stuff. It's the very opposite of what God has intended. He's given us more than we need so that we can overflow and bless others. But what happens because of the fall, because of our wayward heart, we actually feel less free because of the weight of this stuff on our back that we think we've earned it. And so we don't want to part with it. And this was the problem of the rich young ruler. You know, he came up to Jesus and said, hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, he came to the right person and he also knew he had to inherit it, right? He didn't say earn, he said, I could inherit it. And yet Jesus says, you know, the law, you keep the law. And he said, yeah, as a devout Jew, I've, I've kept the law. He says, one thing you lack, Jesus loving him, looking at him with compassion, says, go sell your possessions, give them to the poor, and then come follow me. And the scripture says that he went away dejected, dejected, went away sad because he had great wealth and he knew the greatness of his wealth would no longer be there, his source of security. And so giving that up meant giving up his life. And he wasn't willing to follow Jesus' words. And so he went away sad. But that's not what we're going to do. What we're going to do is we're going to view our material blessings or our material possessions as a blessing from God. We're going to be grateful for them. But we're also going to be extremely generous with them because God has given us way more than we need. And he's asked us to bless others, not just to bridge some wealth gap, but because in doing that, you are actually lending to the Lord. And God will repay you. So let's have some takeaways here. The first is just assess. Assess your view and use of your stuff. Just think about that, that week, your pillow. As you sleep tonight, consider how you view and use your stuff. Then ask God for help to treasure and trust Jesus more than your money. You need his help. And then consider ways to increase your joy by being more grateful for with what you have and then generous and willing to share. Then lastly, get really, really practical. What is one way you could help one person see and experience the generosity of God by how you treat them? That could be a smile on the, on the street to a homeless individual. It could be literally sharing a pillow. It could be writing a check. It could be by just interaction. There's a lot of ways to do it. But let's be known as generous people, right? Because our God is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your abundance. Oh, you've, you, you've loved us so much. And you've given us so much. And God, with so much, oftentimes we can feel either debilitated or completely inundated with it. And so God, in this culture, just help us live joyously free when it comes to our possessions. May we gladly receive what you want to give us. God, not begrudgingly or uh, in any manipulation, but just enjoy a portion. And then with the overflow, may we share it with others. And Jesus, may you get all the honor we pray. In your name, amen.